It's uh, good to be with you. Uh, today is the, uh, it's actually the church's anniversary next weekend, I think, and, uh, but it's Centro uh, is uh, today. So this time last year, Centro, down in the middle of uh, the town centre in Eastbourne, launched out. Really exciting. Uh, I just saw Ollie, well, Ollie, you might have seen on the uh, Facebook the other day, he wrote a report about kind of the first year. Um, bearing in mind that this is a highly populated area right down into uh, the middle of the town centre in Eastbourne and so uh, many opportunities. Um, we've seen 15 new people joining the church, 8 people being baptised, uh, nearly 250 different visitors on a Sunday morning, 12 guests attending our first Alpha course, biggest Sunday attendance yet with nearly uh, 220 people last week. Uh, it's kind of a bit unfair because it was a baby dedication and there was loads of families who came along to go, hey, we like you and we're going to be praying for you. And uh, our kids' work is amazing. Regularly have 30 children under the age of 11 with us on a Sunday morning. Uh, we've seen hips healed, ears unblocked, addiction to smoking, prescription drugs broken, fathers finding relationship with Jesus on the deathbeds and people finding work or money provided when they didn't have any. We have people from all over the world who have made this church their home, from Poland, Spain, South Africa, Colombia, Russia, Australia, Cyprus, Ukraine, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Zimbabwe, <laughs> Brazil, uh, Greece, Canada, Nigeria, Ghana, Malaysia, Germany, Portugal, Finland, Romania, America, and the UK, and many more people each week. Alongside our Sunday meetings, eight life groups meet with 100 adults, and they've been regularly praying for our town and involved serving at the food bank, Matthew 25, the night shelter on the street passes. We had faithful women going out every week into the town centre, sitting on benches, intentionally talking to them, praying for people they meet during this time, words of knowledge, pray for healing. This is the sort of church I'm going to join. I'm going to go along to this. Okay, uh, we've hosted a production of Noah with 500 guests being part of the Eastbourne Carnival, handed out balloons, sweets, Mother's Day flowers in town, invited people to our Christmas and Easter celebrations. We're currently buying Bourne School, a new climbing frame for the playground. Finally, we've been blessed to build an amazing relationship with local businesses, including greengrocers, cafes, bars, bistros, those hosting prayer meetings, alphas in restaurants in town, ladies, cake nights, evening meals, men gathering, after work at the pub. There's so many more stories you could hear from every person who's been involved. That's a pretty encouraging start. Okay, and uh, I listen in and go, wow. Okay, some of you might be listening and going, oh, wow. Okay, well, that might not be my experience, but... Uh, uh, that, that's part of what we've been, uh, well, it's still part of the same church. And I love the fact that on Thursday, hopefully, you will join us. Uh, Chris has mentioned actually on Tuesday evening, those, uh, we really want to be as a church much more increasingly open to the prophetic sense of what God is saying to us and where He's leading us. And uh, if you in the past historically have been open to hear from God uh, uh, with prophetic or with words or you kind of, that is something that you feel God wants to bring you into. Look, just come and be in the environment because actually we want to learn together. We want to be together. We want to be hearing God together because we really want to be shaping and influencing as much more our dependency on what God is doing amongst us. Thursday night, we're gathering together on the back of what God, we believe, is going to be saying on Tuesday and we're going to be praying on uh, the Thursday of this week. So lovely to be there. And uh, I'm excited. Jess filmed me in briefly the other day. Some good things are happening here. Really encouraging. And, uh, you know, just this part of being community. And I love it. And I love hearing the stories. And I love being a part of you, uh, with you today. I'm going to be uh, looking into a little bit of the book of Acts, uh, chapter 11. And uh, there's just something about the culture, um, which I just want to touch in a little bit at the moment. See how we get on with time, because uh, uh, I have three points, but I'm not sure whether I'll... Uh, 
ditch the last point. So we'll see if we get there or not. A couple of weeks ago, I was actually preaching in Hampden Park, and at 10 to 9, I really felt as if God said to me, I don't want you to preach on that passage. I want you to do something else. And it's like, no, don't tell me at 10 to 9 when in 10 minutes' time the meeting is about to start. And, uh, you know, so that's part of this journey that I believe God has taken me on. And as a part of that is to take us into that more, actually, into the sense of, God, what do you want us to be doing? Okay, uh, I have this kind of like this hope and this passion that actually we'll be connecting with the community, connecting with the culture in which we're living in and the diversity of that community. But at the same time, I also want to be, uh, as a church, increasingly dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit. Even though I'm not preaching on this right now, later on in, in Acts chapter 18, you see Paul goes in, 18 or 19, I think it's 18, Paul goes into uh, Ephesus. And when he's in Ephesus, it, it says that he, he stood in the, uh, in, he went to the synagogue first off and then uh, after he finished in the synagogue he went down to I think it's the Hall of Tyrannus uh, which is the public uh, meeting place I was actually in, uh, in Ephesus it still exists and I was in Ephesus a couple of years back and uh, this Hall of Tyrannus still exists and uh, a remarkable place and this is where Paul went it was kind of the open debating environment uh, because he was really wanting to connect with the different cultures that were going on and present Christianity in such a way that look look let me introduce this you know he did a similar thing when he went to Athens and, uh, but there he was in Ephesus, and it says, you know, how he was conducting himself in the marketplace, people understanding the gospel. And then the very next verse, it says, and there was many amazing signs and wonders took place as well. You know, so even like, if you just got a hanky off him, they would, you know, take it away and they would get healed. You know, it was just remarkable. And many amazing things. And, and those verses sitting right alongside each other, that you've got this context, uh, being able to communicate, you know, the good news of Jesus into a culture that had no knowledge. Now, we're living in a culture today that has very little knowledge and understanding of what Christianity is about. So we've got to learn and adapt and understand how we communicate into a culture that basically is saying we don't understand and we don't know who this Jesus is and the representation of Christianity is not something that's very attractive to us. How do we get across and communicate into that culture? At the same time, the very next verse talks about amazing signs and wonders. So I'd love us to be as a church community that is kind of going for this the radical both ends of these things, you know, and find the radical middle. Because I love us to be people who are understanding culture and communicating, and also people who are saying that we are so dependent on the work of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what I really believe God is calling us to at this time. And so when we gather together on Tuesday night, and when we get together on Thursday night, it's about that. It's about God. We are so dependent on your presence. It can't just be about techniques. It can't be about music. It can't be about what we're doing, Lord, we're really dependent on uh, what you're doing. So there is a culture thing that we can change, but also it is in the dynamic uh, and understanding that we need the power of God. But I'm not speaking on that at all. I'm going to actually be speaking on Acts uh, chapter 11. Uh, familiar to some people. Uh, verse 19, now to those who were scattered uh, because of uh, persecution that arose over Stephen... Uh, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. Okay, Stephen, you, you, if you, uh, a few chapters earlier, uh, Stephen was martyred. He was murdered. Okay, he stood up in front of the crowd, uh, the leaders, the Jewish authorities, and they did not like what he was saying, and uh, in effect, they stoned him to death. Uh, and as a result of that, it actually says that there was a man there called uh, Saul who was watching on and approving of everything that was taking place. Okay, just to notice that the sweets are being passed around. In, is anyone like any sweets? Please. Okay, sweets are up on this side. 
<laughs> it's all right. I didn't know t- actually, I did that last week and made the person pass around all the sweets and they didn't end up with any of themselves. So uh, it was quite funny. Sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. We got away with it. No one noticed. Okay, so uh, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, <laughs> we'll move on. We won't talk about it. Uh, so there was great persecution that broke out as a result of, uh, you know, they wanted to close down this new sect of believers. This breakaway sect from Judaism, they wanted to close down and stamp on it. And uh, so great persecution broke out. And out of Jerusalem, uh, this spread out. And actually, the very next chapter uh, talks about going into Samaria and when it goes. Uh, but what happened is, in, 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 as a result of this persecution, the gospel was being spread. Now, actually, you look around even the world today, and there's a massive amount of persecution taking place. Okay, you look into what is taking place in Iraq right now, and uh, with uh, ISIS or IS, uh, and the persecution and the deliberate targeting of Christians. You look into other parts of the world, into northern Nigeria right now, uh, and you see, uh, again, the, uh, it, it, you know, this, this version of Islam, which is just trying to eradicate Christianity in the most brutal kind of ways. And you go and look at the persecution that's taken place. Historically, look at persecution that's taken place in places like China. But actually, as a result, certainly you see it in China, as a result of the persecution, the gospel is like, kind of like caught fire. Because what it is, it's pushing Christians uh, out of kind of centers, and it's spreading, it's kind of this gospel flame that is spreading. So even in the context of what we're doing, we must be praying for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world who are so facing this right now, you know, where, where torture is taking place, where beheadings are taking place, where there's a huge amount, where people are saying, we want you to renounce your Christian faith, and they're not renouncing their Christian faith. And uh, so we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters. But out of this, that the gospel is spread. So that's what's taking place, okay, in... Uh, in, in, out of Jerusalem, okay, so Stephen gets murdered, persecution starts as a result at that moment, and they leave Jerusalem and start spreading around. It says in chapter 8 that they ended up in Samaria, when they're in Samaria, that they brought great joy to the city. So there's a culture shaping influence of the gospel. So they arrive into other parts of uh, kind of then actually the Roman Empire, and they're bringing with them uh, the gospel message. And, and so let's carry on. Uh, we haven't really started, have we yet? Persecution that rose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the words to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now the Hellenists, they were the non-Jew Greek-speaking, Greek-speaking non-Jews. Okay, that's a better way of saying it. Okay. Uh, 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 you know, so this is hugely significant. Because up to this point, the gospel, as it had spread out of Jerusalem, had only been going to other Jews. Arriving in Antioch and uh, spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and the St. Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and when he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. And a great many were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now, remember that name, Saul? We'll, we'll pick this up. 
towards the end of my talk, but Saul, he was the one who was stood over uh, when Stephen was martyred and killed, and he was the one who was stood by approving. And now Barnabas goes, I need some help in here. I'm going to find Saul. <laughs> they must have been thrilled at that. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church, and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Okay. A number of years ago, people came to me and said, oh, we are an Antioch church. I thought, good, that's very good. And I thought, I don't know what an Antioch church means. Uh, it could mean that perhaps we're meant to just be a little bit more Greek. Any Greeks here? We have in Centro. Uh, perhaps we're just meant to be a little bit more Greek. Do you remember the film My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Have you ever seen that? Some of you haven't. Some of you have. Where, where a non-Greek marries into a Greek family and the film is basically about the life of the family. Uh, and there was one thing that the, the father, the, the patriarchal figure in there, said this. There are two kinds of people. Greeks and everyone else who wish they was Greek. <laughs> and uh, another phrase was that the nice Greek girls are supposed to do three things in life marry Greek boys, make Greek babies, and feed everyone until the day we die. Okay, so there's this the whole film is about how do we bring Greek culture into everyone? Okay, it, you know, just, just we want everyone to know. I've got another quote here, I think. My dad believed in two things that Greeks should educate non Greeks about being Greek and every ailment from. Uh, what was it? Psoriasis to poison ivy can be cured with Windex. That was just another quote in this, that, that we're here to, to, to change this world and make it more Greek. Because that's going to benefit everyone if everyone becomes more Greek. Well, uh, being an Antioch church, I don't reckon it's about becoming more Greek. Antioch was the very first place that this group of, this sect, this cult of believers were first called Christians. So in a city probably of about 300,000 people at this point, strong Greek culture, although it wasn't in Greece, it was actually founded at the time of Alexander the Great in about 300 BC. It became Roman in 64 BC. I say with a population of about 300,000 people at this point, massive cosmopolitan city, people uh, as well as from the Roman Empire, people from Persia and India and China, and there was actually a large Jewish enclave in there. It was a hugely important, massively influential. It was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. So what was the Antioch church like? Well, we know that it, it, it was the first place that Christians were called Christians. So in the context of this great cosmopolitan environment, they were standing out in such a way that they were being recognized. That look, these Christians... So they were making some inroads and impact into uh, this city. What was the Antioch church like? Well, it was founded on the basis of fleeing from Jerusalem. I've already mentioned that even in the bad times, uh, that the gospel spread through persecution. Uh, Stephen was murdered, Acts 7, catalyst for the great opposition. They move out of Jerusalem and they move north. At that time, there was also a man called Saul. So the believers in the city, they travel north, they're spreading the gospel, and they arrive in Antioch, and the church is getting established. There's 300,000 people stood, this small group of three, in the context of 300,000 people, stood out in the crowd, and they were named Christians. What was it that made them stand out? Because if we can get that, if we can understand 
what it was that made the Antioch church stand out. And people say, Graham, we are an Antioch church. Maybe if we understand what they were about, we need to see kind of how that influences and, and shapes us. What will make us stand out? Because understanding that will be a bit of a clue. I reckon the first thing, and we pick it up in verse 20, is that they were an incredibly welcoming community. They, they welcomed the outsider. Okay? Uh, but there were some of them, verse 20, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching uh, the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Jews from Cyprus who had gone to Jerusalem were now preaching the gospel to the non-Jewish Greek speakers. And you go, well, what's the, what's the big deal? They, they kind of spoke the same language. And that's true. They, they did speak the same language. Culturally, they were very different. One was the Jewish Greek speakers. One were the uh, non-Jewish Greek speakers. But it was a massive deal. You see, the non-Jews were clearly now being actively reached with the Christian gospel by Jews. That huge. Now, if you're familiar with your Bibles, that you know kind of the chapter earlier, chapter 10, you've got this bloke called Peter, Apostle Peter. And he's on a rooftop. Uh, is it in Joppa? It, a, a seaside town. And God speaks to him in a vision. Uh, and he has this dream. And uh, he sees in this dream this cloud coming, uh, not cloud, this blanket coming down from, from the clouds from heaven. And on this blanket is kind of like loads of different types of foods that as a Jew he was not allowed to eat. Uh, you, you pick it up in kind of Leviticus and other chapters in the Bible where you, just the things that you are not allowed to, to eat. And now he hears his voice, Peter get up and eat it. And Peter says, I can't eat this, it, it's forbidden for me to eat. And he gets his dream three times. And he says, look, what I've made clean and what I've made presentable, you can now actually eat. And, and suddenly there's this realisation from Peter that this gospel message, which up to this point, he only thought it was for, for the Jewish people because they were inside the promises. Th th these were the people who had the promises of God. Everyone outside, they were not, they didn't have the promises. And God speaks directly to Peter and says, Peter, what, what you thought were out are now included. What was once uh, discarded, once alienated, they were called aliens. But now those aliens are to be included. And he suddenly wakes up from this dream. There's a knock on the door and some blokes from, uh, from a household, uh, Cornelius, who was a Gentile, non-Jew. Please can you come up and, and preach, in effect, the, the gospel. And Peter goes and he visits. And as he's talking, the power of God comes and the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles. And suddenly Peter and his whole thinking is like blown apart. This is revolutionary. This is radical. Because you know, they were outside. They're not included. And then suddenly Peter's awareness that they are now included. Whoa. So he goes back to Jerusalem and he presents this. And they'll go, whoa. What's going on? There's a verse right at the end of chapter 10. It's the very last verse before actually we just read the chapter 11. It says this. Oh, and that's actually verse 18 of the passage we just read in Acts 11. You know, so we just read the Bible. It was the verse directly before that said this. And when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. When they heard these things, they, 
there was a silent. They were blown away by it. You know, when you, sometimes you hear people on television or whatever who win things and, or have a house makeover or whatever, and they say, I'm speechless, and then carry on speaking for the next five minutes. It's like, going, no, he's speechless. Shut up. All right. I'm lost for words, and carry on talking. It just says, look, they were, in effect, they were speechless. They fell silent at what they were hearing. Oh, that realization. And then they glorified God. Erupt into praise. Because this was unheard of. People with nothing were now being offered everything. I went for a job interview a number of years back, and that was rubbish. I was, it was one of those job interviews. It was so embarrassing because they knew how bad I was. And I knew how bad I was in answering the questions. But we had to then go through the whole procedures of them asking me questions and me not being able to answer them at all. Now, it wouldn't have been a bizarre thing on the way home if I got the phone call and they said, Graham, you've got the job. Because I didn't deserve it. There's nothing, I was not qualified at all for this job. I, I was completely incompetent for it. Well, imagine the phone call coming in and saying, you don't deserve it. I know you've got no merit. I know you don't qualify, but we're going to give you a job anyway. So that would have been kind of ridiculous. We're in a situation that these people don't qualify. They don't earn anything. They haven't got anything. They're not part of the promise. They're not the promised people of God. And now, guess what? You can have it anyway. It's brilliant. <laughs> when Peter, what Peter saw with Cornelius, clearly orchestrated by the Spirit of God, was then confirmed by the apostles, was now spontaneously happening in Antioch. It was happening that these people had already gone from Jerusalem. They didn't know that a new edict had come out, I guess, and saying, hey, the Gentiles are now in. They were just spilling out from city to city, and as they went, and suddenly they end up in Antioch, and now they're preaching this message to these people who formerly had not been included. It's clearly it was an act of God. Those who were outside were now on the inside. And I just want to make this point that we have lots of people in our society that although they might speak with the same language, don't understand our culture, they might well feel as if they do not qualify, and we might even be at the point where we think, are they included and potentially exclude them? Because we go, they have the wrong background, they have the wrong lifestyle, they have the wrong moral code, they have the wrong status. But one of the key culture, key culture within uh, an Antioch church was that they were an incredibly welcoming community for the outsiders. From the first moment that people come in touch with us, are we welcoming? Not just here, not, not on a Sunday. From the very first moment, it, as people come in touch in connection with us, do they feel isolated and excluded or do they feel included? You know, put it into a context here. You know, it, it, I love the fact that the first people that they meet are the excellent smiley car parking team. Because I have a dream that the car parkers give the best first greeting that people will ever have. I went to a church, a couple of churches, a number of years ago. One was up in Bradford. And uh, the church in Bradford, as we parked up on a bit of a dodgy estate, 
uh, there was someone outside who said, I'll look after your car. He, he, he was part of the church. He wasn't just some like, yeah, yeah, governor. Gives a quid, I'll look after your car, keep your wheels on. It wasn't that sort of thing. It was, uh, I, he just spent, that, that was his role. I want to serve the church, I want to serve God, I will look after your car so it doesn't get torched, burnt, stolen or scratched. And for three evenings of the conference in sub-zero temperatures, he just stood and guarded and protected our cars. Amazing. That was a great first impression. I heard of another story, uh, a church over in the Midlands, actually, in, in Bedford, who, uh, somebody with a disability contacted the church and said, look, I'm going to be coming uh, to some event. Is there any facilities that you've got for... Uh, I'm going to be arriving. I just need kind of a little bit of help. They reserved car park spaces for her. They went out to greet her with a wheelchair to help her in. They had an umbrella because it was pouring down. They brought her in. They brought her into the auditorium. They had refreshments laid on for her. You go, wow, that's a good impression. I fear sometimes. Is this being recorded? Okay, I won't share what I was going to say then. So it was, uh, you know, sometimes... The car parking is not about car parking. Okay? It's not about about rebuking people if they can't park. It, It really isn't. It is not quite straight. We can get a bus in there and you have, you know, oh, well, yeah. It's not, it's not really about competence of car parking. Why we have car Because people, in theory, should be able to find a space eventually and get parked up, okay? But actually, it's about being the, giving the best first impression. So I want that. Cafe teams, if you can eventually find where the cafe is. <laughs> it's about setting the right environment. Because I want people to come into our culture and to experience it. So that those who are feeling marginalised are no longer excluded by our preferences. So I can illustrate. I'm a young, middle-aged man. You go, no, no you're not. You're an old. Okay, well if the average age is at 82 that people live within the southeast, 41 is middle age. So anyone above middle age, everyone above 41, you're above middle age. So, uh, which have just alienated half of the people in the room. Okay, so I am a young middle-aged man. Okay, so we got over here we got Chris who who who's a young older aged man. Okay? I've got Mzizi over here. Well, Mzizi, he's an old, young person. Okay, is that all right? Okay. What does Mzizi, Graham, Chris got in common, apart from some amazing dance moves that we share? Okay. Actually, it's, the, it's true. It, but actually, that's not true. Okay. But, but what is true? What unites us? Amazing gospel. See, I have two children. They're about, well, one's about to move out of the house next week. At that stage of life. Chris has two children who left the house a long time ago. And Zizi has no children and probably will never leave home. But, uh, you know, but there's something that unites us. It's this gospel. A Zimbabwean, a southerner, I'm a northerner. We are united because of an amazing gospel. That's what we have in common. So I would want us, if we're going to be people who are going to be sharing culture, I want us to be deliberate. I want us to be intentional about doing things in order to include others, actually, who are not like us. 
It's actually much easier to do things with people that are like us because we share the same culture. It's a bit more challenging when we start doing stuff who people are not like us and there's loads of marginalised people in our society. Church, unfortunately, does a pretty good job at keeping them isolated sometimes. I'm talking about the church-wide, not, not just here. So I think you've got a good reputation here. But single people, uh, divorced people, widows. How do we include people who... You know, it's so awkward and difficult. Let's go out for... Everyone else is a married couple. Well, and what do you do? You talk married couples. It's like... I mean, we've got older children now. You know, it's like being... It's like you have families with little children. They only talk about babies and nappies and things like that. Don't they, John? Okay. It's, like, it's the life outside the nappy. And yet, there's single people who don't have children. There's single people who want to have children. There's married couples who want to have children. There's people who were married and no longer married. There's people who were married but their husband and wife have died. And it can be very isolating. So what are we doing? Are we being intentional? Uh, what about people with different lifestyles to us? Or same set attraction? Or uh, people maybe on different economic scales? Benefit claimants? Or what about people who were former inmates? <laughs> or inmates? What about Asians? Uh, what about Romanians? They're coming in for a bit of a rough old ride at the moment. What about disabled? What about the deaf? What about those who have mental health issues? People with learning difficulties? Or the poor or the homeless or the elderly? A huge amount of marginalised people in our society. Am I making the effort? What am I doing to intentionally do something in order to be deliberate and to include them. So that would be my first challenge. The second challenge would be is actually to challenge bad reaction and work towards welcoming without reservation. Okay, without reservation, that, that's kind of like, oh, so easily I find myself tutting and disapproving. <laughs> Who loves the children running around on a Sunday morning here? <laughs> Our parents of two-year-olds do. Okay, but I'm, I'm pretty much sure some of you are going, they should be more chained to their parents, or they should be behaving in such a way, and they should be doing this, and they you know, should be doing that, or yeah, it's e- it'd be easy for me, and, and I guess some of us to go, it's not my preferences. Honestly, it's like, I, you know, <laughs> the, the challenge is, are we willing to put our preferences to one side? What we want to do. Yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't remember, I don't think I've got it to hand, but I was listening to a chap called Joel Virgo over in CCK, and uh, he was just talking about uh, one of the things he enjoys doing is going to funerals of old, old saints in the Lord. And he then hears these hymns. They go, man, these hymns are good. Why don't we sing these hymns? And you've got people in the congregation going, yes, exactly, why don't we sing those hymns? And it's like, because, because they've got words and everything. <laughs> You know, it's like the amazing thing that, 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 that actually people have said, you know, the, the only time they get to hear their, their, their favourite hymn is when they're dead. And that's the, that's the reality. But at that point, they don't really care because, hey, 
we're enjoying God. But, but what, what the point he was making was that, look, they were willing to put their preferences to one side for the benefit of others. Yeah, I'm choosing. I, I don't want that. I, I like it, and I would have it by preference, but do you know what? I'm going to put aside my preference in order for the benefit of others. And so I find it really challenging, challenging myself is that if there's a bad reaction, if I have a bad reaction, I need to work towards welcoming without reservation. Uh, and that's the target. Okay? It, it's without that check in my head going, well, I don't... You know, and you, it's without reservation, without tutting, without disapproving, without criticising, without judging, you know, without being intolerant. Because when we judge and when we tut and when we criticise, actually we're very similar to the Pharisees who challenged Jesus when he ate with the sinners. See, church should be messy, it ought to be messy, it shouldn't be neat and tidy. We want people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. We're not simply looking for people to live like Jesus before they know Jesus. Because people only want to live like Jesus once they know Jesus. And it's that real dilemma. As a pastor, it's a real dilemma. But they're living in such a style and, which isn't probably helpful and beneficial. And, and, but they're coming to faith. And at what point do we bring... Oh, oh, and it's like a struggle because we go, you ought not to be living like that. But as soon as we say, you ought not to be living like that, what we're doing is just bringing in a whole leap of legalism onto someone to say, you have to now live like this. When we're going, well, people don't want to live like that because the Spirit of God's not inside them. So sometimes we've got to trust that God knows what he's doing. And it's difficult because, you know, we, we baptised someone recently, I think you probably had a video of him, uh, a bloke with, uh, is a gay man, same-sex attraction. And somebody came and says, why are you baptising a gay man? Okay. Because he loves Jesus. And he has a desire to live for Jesus. And do you know he's on a journey at the moment? And before he became a Christian, he, he said, I'm not going to give up my gayness. I can't. I'm, I'm gay. That's who I am. And we're not asking him to. But, but what about the relationships? I'm going to get married. I'm going, well, we're working through some of those issues. I said, look, are you open to the idea that God might want you to live in a different kind of way? Of course I'm open to that idea. And so we're going, look, if you're open to the idea that God can work in your life and you will be obedient to what he calls you to, then we're happy to be baptizing you. Okay. So we baptized him. We had another couple who we did baptise a few years back, actually. And uh, I just remember that the fact that what they become, they become Christians, they're still living together, then became Christians. And, you know, in one way, it would have been easy for us as church leaders to go, no, you're Christians, this is what now, dum, 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 dum. And we go, you know, we just go, God, please, just, you know. And one day they came up and said, we can't sleep together anymore, can we? Why not? I said, because God's told us. That's good. And so she went and they then kind of like lived apart because God told them. See, people don't want to live like Jesus until they know Jesus. And a sign of them knowing Jesus is that they want to live like Jesus. It's kind of the evidence. It's the fruit that is being worked out. If we put a load of stuff in at the front end where people aren't Christians, I know it's a dilemma. I know it's difficult. But the problem is that we can be in a community where we're putting in the, the judgment on people. Somebody came to me last week, I was speaking in Lewis, and they just said, look, my, my, my daughter, no, it's daughter or son, I can't remember, my son uh, is gay. And I really struggled with it. And I found it so hard. And then, you know, just how do you handle that whole thing? And they just said, look, this is what I've learned, that it's God's role to judge, it's the Holy Spirit's role to convict, and it's my role to love. I'm going, that's good. Just, it's my role to love. 
I know there's best practice. And I know there's kind of that living now. How Come on, live how God wants you to live. There's a good plan in place. How God wants you to live. Come on, I encourage you. So there is an endorsement. There isn't kind of like, hey, become a Christian. It's just that license to carry on. But if you're a Christian, then the very thing that you become a Christian is that actually you now start to want to live like God. And so in our context, in our culture of today, it is not about tutting, it's not about disapproving, it's not about saying you ought to live, a little bit like my father-in-law who keeps saying that. People need a good moral position in life. But it's not unless the heart is changed. So I, I think it's our role and our responsibility for people who are incredibly loving to love. Regardless of lifestyle, actually, regardless of his history, regardless of background, just like it was for us. So if you're on car parkers, be the best car parker. If you're on the welcome team, I encourage you to deliberately ignore your friends and greet people who you don't know exceptionally well. That's why I say halfway through the meeting, why don't you stand up, turn around, because sometimes we have to break out of our 10-foot radiance. I see it in Eastbourne sometimes, who are defiantly hand... It's almost like they put towels on their seat. I'm not going to lose my space. It's like... Sometimes we have to step outside of where we're comfortable in order to go and reach someone else who's probably feeling uncomfortable. 10-foot radius at work, 100-metre radius at your home. Who lives within 100 metres of you? So being an Antioch church, for me, one of the key is about being a radical community that welcomes people. And when we see that, it'll be breathtaking will be silent because people will see it and go wow and a number of other points <laughs> that's only one point I didn't think I was going to get to point three but I'm looking at the time just briefly I'll say one other one is that another culture in Antioch was it was built on the foundation of encouragement uh, we look at Barnabas he arrived there why Barnabas well the clue was actually in the name he wasn't always called Barnabas. Do you know what his first name was? Originally, he was known as Joseph. Okay, we pick it up uh, back in chapter 4 of Acts. And there was a man called Joseph who we renamed Barnabas because Barnabas is much more fitting to him uh, because it actually means son of encouragement. So Barnabas was an encourager. And why, why was Barnabas dispatched? <laughs> Imagine you'd go and start up a cafe in the middle of town. Imagine someone would go and do that. Who do you want around you in that cafe? Do you want your accountant watching on or do you want your mum? I would want my mum because the advantage of my mum in a new startup cafe is, oh, this is great, well done, Graham, you're doing really well. And at the end of the day, if there was any food left, she would buy it and eat it. Because you just want people who are encouraging around you, not someone go, oh, well, if you don't get so many cakes sold and this, that and the other, well, you're going to go down and under. We don't want people who are discouraging around us. So they dispatched Barnabas up to Antioch. Why? Because primarily he's an encourager. Because people are built up and are encouraged as a result of it. You know what it's like when you are with an encourager. It's amazing the difference. You also know what it's like when you're someone who's a discourager. You know how draining that is. You know how hard work it is? You spend five minutes with them, you just go, I want to end it all now. It's just that kind of like... It is so disheartening. But spend a little bit of time with someone who is an encourager and suddenly go, I can take the world. 
come on, we can do this. Yes, I sat down actually, uh, since getting back off holidays, it's almost like I've been running around putting out fires. And, I, and it's like, oh, it's so draining, it's draining. It's like going, oh, and I sat down with someone called Ian the other day, and within minutes, it's just like, oh, it's so good to be with you. Uh, many of you know Clive Churnick. Be Clive, you just, you go in and you just sit down with Clive and suddenly you go, okay, thank you, that's what I need. That, that, you know, I pick up from that that it's great to have encouragers around. If you are a natural encourager, can I encourage you, go for it. Because you don't quite understand the difference that you make in people's lives. It's huge, hugely impacting. What was I going to say about Barnabas? Well, firstly, he was a Cypriot, okay? We, we know that. Man from Cyprus, Barnabas, Joseph came from Cyprus. He spoke the language, okay? He would have understood the culture. It's important that when we're trying to reach the community and culture in which we're in, I get it that actually I was with a former Muslim man last night who says, I'm the best person to reach Muslims. Why? Because he understands the culture. Great, I get that. So they dispatched Barnabas, who was a Cypriot, Greek understanding culture, go and be there. You're with these Cypriot people. You know the language. You know the culture. You understand how they think. Go and do it. Secondly, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and he was full of faith. He was dependable. He was reliable. He was godly. He was faith-filled. Sometimes people say, why am I not being more recognized? Why am I not being more involved or released? Sometimes it's because people are not dependable and reliable unto a leader Honestly, it's a joy when we do find people who are saying, do you know what, tell me what to do and I'll do it. We see it in, in back in the Acts chapter 4 that Barnabas who sold a field and he came with the money and he gave it to the apostles. It said, do with it whatever you like. Look, that, that heart to say, just do with it. Look, if I can be of any help, just, just tell me what it is. And so when I was with Ian the other day, I, I, I said, look, we've got this to go. He said, just tell me. Tell me what you need to do and I'll do it. Brilliant. I love that. He was called Barnabas for a reason. He was the encourager. And it's great having encouragers around because it blesses church leaders no end, but it blesses people no end. Having a Barnabas was a dream. And he was dispatched and sent. It says this in, in that Acts chapter. As soon as he arrived, he saw that God was behind it all. He threw himself in with them, got behind them to stay with it the rest of their lives. I love that message translation. He threw himself in with it. And I want to encourage us to throw ourselves in. Be, if you're not a natural encourager, become an encourager. Take deliberate steps to say, do you know, what can I do in order to build other people up? Because some of us are more natural moaners. Some of us are more natural kind of like criticizers and we pull people down. It makes a huge difference when we challenge ourselves and we go, you know what, I'm now going to intentionally and deliberately not dishonor people, but to honor. Not to pull down, but to build up. How we use our language, how we use our, use our humor. I've got to watch it because my humor can, in love, pull people down. And so I've try to start correct myself now to say, I'm, gonna stop. I'm sorry, I'm dishonouring you right now. So I want to go on this journey. I, I want to be part of this. We've kind of run out of time. But, but some of these things, I just want to encourage us, dear church, let us keep going in them. 
Let us continue to be the most welcoming community, even if that means us stepping outside of our comfort. And let us be the most encouraging people we can be. To stop, to correct, to change, to build up, to esteem, to value, to honour and to welcome. Because when we do that, it will make a profound impact in the community. Verse 24 said this, a great many people were added to the Lord. It's kind of the fruit. It's the evidence. A great many people were added. If we can continue to be a welcoming, encouraging people, people want to say, do you know what? I want to become like that and become a Christian. Let's just pray. Father, thank you that the gospel is all about being welcomed. Thank you that pretty much everyone in this room was outsiders and then you included us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the evidence of grace. Thank you that you pulled us in when we were out in the cold. And Lord, I pray for us that genuinely we do all that we can in order to show the grace of God towards others and be as welcoming and as encouraging as possible. I thank you for the example of Antioch. I know it wasn't perfect. I know there was disagreements and arguments. I know there was stuff that went on which wasn't ideal. But there was some really good stuff. Thank you that they were a church that were welcoming, that they were encouraging. Thank you that they were a church that were real. Thank you that they were a church that were worshipful and expecting work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that they were a generous community. Thank you that they were adventurous. Thank you for all these other things that we can look at Antioch if we had the time. Lord, I pray for us as a church community that we will be an Antioch community, that we will reflect the culture of what it is to be a Christian so that others will look on and go, that is so attractive, I want to know about this Jesus. I pray that for your glory. Amen.